Good morning, it's time to start. We'll be in First Corinthians, Corinthians, that would be fun. First Thessalonians, um, chapter 4 today. Um, before we start, let's go to our Father in, in heaven in prayer. you would bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and the opportunity that we have to study your word. Um, We are so grateful for uh, you providing it to us, that we have it knowing that it is from you, you, um, that it is inspired, uh, that it is truthful, and that it represents your character and your plan um, for your creation. We ask you to be with us this morning as we study uh, from the book of 1 Thessalonians about um, these individuals that were in a part of the world um, where they were facing great persecution. They were new Christians, and Paul was writing these words to them to encourage them and to keep them on a path uh, that was worthy of the calling. Um, We ask that you would be with the other teachers in this building, that they would also recall the things that they've prepared, that they might stimulate those young hearts and minds, uh, that they might uh, grow closer to having a a love for you and appreciation for what you have done and and a desire eventually to please you in all that they do. Be with Christians everywhere that are worshiping you today on this first day of the week, that they might remember the greatest gift to mankind of all time, and that being your son. And we ask that you would help us to honor him and to honor you when we remember that sacrifice later today and partake of the Lord's Supper. Forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just a quick um, checkpoint here on where we are. Um, You remember this slide from one of the introductions that that we covered early on that the first three chapters basically had to do with what I would call the past, things that had already occurred. Um, it was Paul reminding um, them of the things that, the way that he had come to them and how he, what they had taught and the manner in which he'd taught. Um, there were three prayers in the book, one, one right at the beginning, what he said he prayed to God about, and he actually prayed, and then we're coming up, we're going to finish today that one, and we're going to look first at verses 11 through 13 of chapter 3, which is the second prayer, which bridges um, this conversation that Paul was having in writing, bridges the kind of the look back at how we were and how you responded to the look forward. Um, So here, going forward, is basically what Paul is saying you need to focus on and do. So I just just wanted you to remind you of that. Um, The the bold letters at the top, a celebration of faithfulness and a a challenge to grow, were right on that bridge of changing from celebration of their faithfulness and what it means to Paul and what it means to everyone in other other places all throughout Macedonia and Judea Um, and now moving to on to this challenge to grow. Um, Quickly I want to just hit a couple of things about the mood that we have in chapter 3 before we get to verse 11. Remember Timothy had come uh, to Thessalonica Thessalonica and had come back and Paul had gotten a report from Timothy about how they were doing. He was concerned because they were, as I said in my prayer, very new Christians. Um, Relatively new meaning that I I doubt that this letter was written 
any more than a year after he had been in Thessalonica. So it's probably within the first year of them becoming Christians. And they're in this environment that was really tough, as we talked about from a persecution standpoint. So he sent Timothy. Timothy comes back with good news. Um, he talks about how that he was comforted about them and through their faith that he could really live. Um, I have to imagine that when he was teaching in Corinth, that's where he was when he writes this letter, that when he was teaching in Corinth, he was slightly distracted at times about, I wonder how my, I wonder how my brothers and sisters are doing in other parts of the world. I wonder how Lydia and the jailer are doing in Philippi. I wonder how the Bereans were doing that are searching the scriptures and how hungry they were to do that. And I wonder how these Thessalonian Christians are doing as well as the ones that he knew from Lystra and Derby and other times. These things had to be on Paul's mind. We know they were because he talks about the things that in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the things that were, that, that were difficult for him to get through when he fulfilled what it was that God wanted him to do and preach the gospel. And among those things, being beaten by rods, having been whipped, having been shipwrecked, having been dead, <laughs> basically thought dead, um, that among those things he lists, is, he said, is the concern for the churches. That weighed heavy on Paul. I, I think it weighs heavy on anybody who's lived in a lot of places. Barry, who's preached in places. We think about those brothers and sisters that we've had in other places that we've influenced in some way. And we hope they're doing well. Of course we check with them, but Paul hadn't, didn't have the internet. So he couldn't get a quick response. So anyway, when he did hear what he heard, he said, now I can really live. Basically, in other words, you are so encouraging to me. And I love what he says here when he says, for what thanks can we give to God for you in return for all the joy with which we uh, rejoice because of you? In my words, I would say, Paul almost said, I'm not even sure how to express my thanks to God for what you mean to me and how good this news is that I got from Timothy. So that's the mood that, we're, that he's in. And then, of course, the last thing I said, as we keep praying most earnestly night and day, that we may see your face. He wanted to go see them. Um, uh, he wanted to complete something that was lacking in their faith. So remember in chapter 1, he said he was remarked, they had great um, extreme appreciation for their, um, for their faith, um, their love and their hope. And he's talked all about their faith in this section. How your faith has strengthened my faith. Hearing how faithful you are gives me the energy and the, and the resolve to continue my work. And yet, he says, we keep praying night and day that we may come and see you so that we may complete what is lacking in your faith. You find that interesting? I mean, I would love for Paul to be able to say that, what he said about this church, about the third church in Thessalonica, to, about this church, about us. I mean, I would think we would feel complimented. I'm sure when they were reading this letter in the assembly that they had, wherever it was and however it was handled, they were encouraged by what Paul was saying. Wow, you know, this sounds so good. And then they get to this sentence. So, you know, I so much want to come and see your face and so that I can complete what you're lacking in your faith. What? <laughs> what? 
Wait, there's more? <laughs> what's that about? And what's it consistent with? I think, you know, especially since Timothy has come to you, has brought us good news about your faith. What's it consistent? And, um, you know, that in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you about, through your faith. And yet, there's something lacking. He prays also, what else does he pray? Praying night and day that we may see your face. And he says, now, here's the prayer. We're entering into the prayer. May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. That's consistent with that other green highlight, right? That we may see your face. And then he says, May the Lord cause you to increase and overflow in love for one another and for all people. Seems to be consistent with what he said about that we may complete what's lacking in your faith. Were they doing a good job in the way that they expressed their love? What did he say about who had heard about them? Who else was encouraged by them besides Paul and Timothy and Silas? All the churches, pardon? Yeah, the brethren throughout Macedonia. And I think in Judea they knew about him because they said they, that he compliments them because he said you've become imitators of even the Judean Christians. In a way, meaning, meaning that the Judean Christians were persecuted by their own countrymen and the Thessalonians were being persecuted by their own countrymen. But I would imagine that people in Judea had heard of these people. And yet he wants them to increase and overflow. You might say, your, your version might say abound in their love. So I get to that section and I say, um, on the first note, they prayed night and day that they might see their faces. And it, on that first part of that prayer, we... That, that God and Father, that now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Did Paul ever make it back to Thessalonica? To Thessalonica? Pardon? He did. He did. If you're in Acts, just make a footnote. We're not going to spend the time to read it. But if you're in Acts chapter 20, you'll find that Paul is traveling again in the same area and he had had some great difficulty in Ephesus which is where he goes eventually for, after Corinth it's the other place where he spent a great deal of time in fact twice as long as he spent in Corinth he spent about a year and a half in Corinth he spent almost three years in Ephesus so one, on one of those trips back some great some great difficulty comes up in Ephesus and in Acts chapter 20 it says they leave Ephesus and get away from that trouble and when they left, they sailed across um, and went up through these churches. And there were three people traveling with him from Thessalonica that were on the trip with him. I just find it, you know, just a fantastic thought that as much as he prayed, it took maybe a lot longer than Paul thought, he did eventually get back and see the Thessalonians. So this prayer was answered. We come back to the second one though. May the Lord cause you to increase and overflow in your love. He says, uh, for one another and for all people. We talked a little bit about that. This isn't just an inward love. It shouldn't be exhibiting itself in 
just the way that we see and treat each other. And this is the way we interact with people that are maybe outside the body of Christ. In, Thessalon in Thessalonica, the people that they dealt with maybe on a daily basis, how do you behave with them? I still find it interesting, though, that when Paul talks about their love in that, ver in that part about where Timothy had come back and encouraged him about their faith and their love, that he says and prays to God that God would cause them to increase and overflow or abound in their love. Um, why? What's the so that in this verse? So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. What's that mean to you? Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians that yes, these things would happen, that we'd come back and see you and that your love and faith would increase and overflow. Why? So that he, God, may establish your hearts blameless in, hol in holiness before our God and Father. What's Paul saying there? Alan? To me, it says in the term establish, meaning that you could lose To me, it says establish your hearts basically forever. But to me, it, means it could mean that you could lose it and not be established and stop having that's, that's valid. Anybody else have a different word other than establish in their, in their version? Adam? I don't have a different word. To me, this is similar to, for example, in, in Hebrews 11, when faith is counted as righteousness. Mm -hmm. the, the, the Lord doesn't say that we are righteous. He, he says that Abraham's faith was then counted as righteousness, almost like the faith was transformed through the power of God into righteousness. I think this is a similar concept in that the Lord is willing to establish us as blameless, to treat us as blameless um, before the Father, but it's directly related to how we show love to not only our brethren, but to all men. And so the, the, the concepts here are um, very clearly that if we don't show love, he will not establish our hearts in the blameless. Yeah. yeah, establish, confirm is another word that you could find in this verse, um, that he can confirm your, your heart blameless. I, I even saw a version that said, used the word unblameable, which puts a little another spin on it. You know, if you're held accountable for something, um, he wants these people, God, to help them be unblameable. In other, in other words, above being judged. Um, and as Adam said, uh, because he can, account, he can count it that way for you. But it still requires something on the part of the believers. The showing of love. What is, come to you, back to you, Barry. Think of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he gets toward the end of it and he talks about dividing the sheep and the goats. On what basis is that division made? 
Do you remember? Who got to go on the right hand and who got to go on the left hand? Who were the ones that Jesus said well done about? What were they doing? They were looking out for others. They were helping those who were hungry. They were providing food for those who were hungry. They were providing clothing for those who were, in the, in the verses, naked, who were unclothed. They were providing, they were visiting the sick. They were visiting those that were in prison, talking about believers there, but they were visiting these people. Those were all exhibitions of love, not to be calling attention on themselves for doing that, but because those were people in need. They were meeting the needs of the people from a basis of love. And he says to them, remember he uses himself as an example. When did you see me? You know, when, and the people who were judged to the left said, when did we see you and not give you food? When did we see you and not give you clothing? When were you in prison or ever sick that we didn't visit you? And his answer is, as much as you didn't do it to the people, basically, you didn't do it to me. So, this is a big one because it's going to segue right into chapter 4 about what he next starts to say to them. Here's what you need to do. So, this is sort of a launching pad for what's coming next. Barry and then Cheryl. I just to point out, you know, blameless doesn't mean sinless. Right. Uh, an elder is to be blameless. Job was blameless. But just like in the case of Job, okay, Job was blameless and all of this, and yet God puts him through a very severe trial. He has a part of his character, as we all do, that needs to fill in. He has a part of what God wants us to be in reflecting him. He has to fill that part in. And so here, in this case, the way they love one another, how, and he's going to mention that again, as you said, chapter 4, the way they love one another, the way they uh, respond to each other. Maybe Timothy picked up on that when he was there. It's something that is a missing part of the pie, if you will, that they need to complete, as he said, and, and bring that about. We, we all need to think in those terms. What is it about my, my life and my character that I need to complete? That I, you know, I've got these things working pretty good. I need to obviously always grow in them, but, but there's a part that needs to be completed. It seems to be the That's good. We're going to come back to that. Next. I like the way you said that. Cheryl? I was just going to say that the, um, the, that the love that they show for one another, not only in the church, but outside of the church, of mm -hmm. people around, uh, develops the reputation, which helps the church to grow. Mm -hmm. I agree. That's another one. Both of these things are good because of what we're going to go into in chapter 4. You're going to see, I think, because of what he tells them they need to do, that maybe some of these things could have been happening. Um, and Paul was trying to say, you could make it better if you did this instead. Um, I do think that it's important to understand we have a role. What I like what Barry said was that we have a role. There are things that we need to do. Does that mean that I can earn my blamelessness? No. It's not sinlessness. It's not perfection. But it is what we should be striving for, for perfection, for completeness, for being blameless. Um, but we also know God's grace covers our shortcomings. I think what's important, I've always felt this way, I think what God's looking for is the effort that our heart is truly focused on doing the best we can and being willing to forgive us when we are frail and we make a bad choice. 
It's those people who make those choices and choose to live in those bad places whose hearts aren't really dedicated to the cause of God's kingdom and, and his love. And here's why I say that. How does this verse end? What's he really want? He wants them, when Jesus comes again, to be with all the saints. What's a saint? What is a saint? Is a saint someone who's died, performed three miracles, and they get a star and a bell on a tree? Sorry. That's a great movie, but still. <laughs> is that a saint? Our religions that believe you can't be a saint and be alive. Is that consistent with the scriptures? Cheryl? Isn't our Holy Spirit? Pardon? A Holy Spirit? The saints are a Holy Spirit? They have a Holy Spirit that dwells within. The Holy Spirit certainly dwells within the saints. That's true. That's true through the word. I think Sherry is saying that you have your spirit is holy. Oh, to have a Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? I would say that's true. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a saint? What's it mean to be holy? Because that's in here. He wants them to be blameless in holiness so they can be with the saints. What's it mean? How do you, how do you become a saint? Maybe we need to have a class on sainthood. Saint and holy and sanctified. There's another one. Saved. Saved, certainly. When, so so you, you become a saint when you are become a Christian. When you accept God's calling and your sins are washed away and you dedicate your life to Christ and you, just say, and you say to yourself, I am yours, Lord, to use however you see fit. What's it mean to be holy? John, I'll let somebody else chime in. True followers. True followers. Someone who's dedicated to a purpose. If someone is holy, they are dedicated to a purpose. The items in the temple and the tabernacle were, were considered holy. Was there anything special about those items? Were they somehow made out of some magic material that made them holy? No, they were made out of elements from the earth. But they were declared holy. Why? Because they were set apart for a specific purpose. And to be used for only that purpose. You didn't have a common meal out of using the utensils in the temple. That's not what they were designed. That's not what they were dedicated to. Jesus was holy. Perfectly holy. Why was Jesus perfectly holy? Because he was also dedicated to a purpose. When, when God sent him to the earth, he had a mission to fulfill. And he fulfilled that mission perfectly. He fulfilled all prophecy. He fulfilled all righteousness. And he died on the cross and he was raised from the dead. He was perfectly holy. He actually was sinless. He never, ever, one time, wavered or varied from that purpose. Saints 
are people who are dedicated to a purpose. We've said, Lord, I accept the gift you're offering me, and I want to dedicate my life to you, whatever you need me to do. And our prayer should be, what is it that you want me to do? And help me do it. And so Thessalonians and ourselves, when we get to this prayer that Paul packs into the end of this little chapter, there's a lot right here that he's saying that's going to lead right into this next chapter. So as you think about this prayer, think about what it means to be sanctified and set apart. Are we ever, do we ever get to the, do we ever get to a point where today I'm done, I'm sanctified, I have gotten there? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Did Jesus? Not until he died. Yeah, until he died. When we die, then we're <laughs> That's right. Then we're done. When we're done with our life here, then we've done all we can do. And at that point, you either have done it all or you haven't. Jesus did it all, perfectly did it all, was raised from the dead. We get the grace of his blood that washes away our shortcomings and the promise from God that he continually forgives us as we continue to what? Increase and abound, overflow in our faith and our love. And so we get to chapter 4. Again, remembering that we just said this prayer, we're going to segue right over into a challenge to grow. Now does it make a little bit of sense why that title is that title? And, and as we read this section, I just want to read this section in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Listen to now what these words say from Paul on that bridge. Reading along 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, brothers and sisters... I think I might even have this up here for you to write, read. There you go. Finally then, brothers and sisters, we request and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruction from us as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel even more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no one violate the rights and take advantage of his brother or sister in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you previously and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in sanctification." Therefore, the one who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now as to the love of the brothers and sisters, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and for indeed you practice it toward all the brothers and sisters who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers and sisters, to excel even more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we instructed you so that you will not behave, you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. This section that follows, and I want to finish this if we can today because the next section is like a, a lead onto this, but it makes sense if we can pick up there 
next week at, at chapter thir at verse 13. This section is just coming right off of this point that he's made at the end of the things that he's recalling and then this prayer, this prayer to God that this would happen for the Thessalonians, that God would cause this to happen. And then he leads into these things. And so I ask in the questions, first one I hope was pretty obvious, when you're re reviewing the degree that Paul prayed the Lord would cause the Thessalonians to love others in chapter 3 verse 12, what degree would that be? To what degree did he want them to love? He wanted them to increase, right? And overflow. Okay, reviewing the degree which Paul prayed the Lord would cause the Thessalonians to love others in chapters 3 and verse 12. What phrase do we find twice in these verses in chapter 4 that would prompt the same response? I hope that's obvious. Yeah. So, he has it in there twice. Two different places. And my point or my target today is that we talk about what does he say around those two things? And so my next question is, what two important principles does Paul address in the context of these two statements? It's not the way my question read, but that's what I meant. What two important principles does Paul address in each case? In what two areas of the Christian life does Paul want the Thessalonians believers to excel even more? What's around those things? Belinda? Sexual purity and also uh, the idea of minding your own business and leaving quiet life and working. Okay. Those are the practical applications that he has around it. You're right. What are they talking about, though? Those are actions. So here's what I want to say by that. We can sometimes say, um, uh, looking at the Ten Commandments, um, thou shalt not steal. Alright, so if I check the box that I've never stolen anything, am I actually living a life that's pleasing to God? What, why? I'm asking the question, why should we not steal? Right? So I don't want to go there. I'm just saying, so why should we live a sexually pure life? Bang. There it is. So the first topic he talks about is sanctification. Right off of the heels of what he just said, about being with all the saints in his prayer to God. So what's the second one? It's not after it. I'll give you a clue. It's the second thing we just got through talking about in chapter 3. What does he want him to do more? Even more? Love. Love. These are the two topics that he's talking about. These should be the motivators for individuals for why you do the things you do. Paul gets this, in, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he talks about that whole chapter about love, and he starts by saying, if I had the voice of angels and could speak in tongues and had the voice of angels, um, but I didn't do it from the perspective of love, if all I did was speak in tongues in the church to call attention to myself, what does he say you would be? In the church, you'd be about as useful as a clanging cymbal or a loud brass section. He even gets to the end of the first three verses, he gives three points about that. In the third verse in chapter 13, he talks about, and even if I gave my body to be burned, in other words, if I were a martyr for being a Christian, but if my motive was not because I loved God, 
If my motive was so that people would remember me, oh, remember how great he was, he actually was burned for being a Christian. Ooh. If that's what you want out of it, Paul says, it will profit you nothing in the life to come. So I want you to focus here on the, yes, there's some very specific behaviors that he wants to focus on, but there's, behind those behaviors are the reasons why, and, and the reasons why it should guide other kinds of behavior. In other words, Paul's not saying to them, this is just the only thing I need you to do. He wants them to live a sanctified life. Obviously, there could have been some things going on they needed to address specifically in Thessalonica, but what about other things that might, might take a dedicated purpose? Adam? I think that the concept here and in other places of excel even more um, really highlights the idea that he, I mean, he goes to extreme measures to complement how much they have already shown yeah. love. Yet he tells them to excel more. Um, and, and I think that goes to no matter where each one of us is in our walk, we can still excel more. Even if we've been an example to all the brethren in our region that they speak about our, our um, generosity towards others, that, that we still have more to do to grow. And so that, that, that isn't indicting anyone who is not at that measure, but instead it's to encourage all of us to look to ways that we can exhibit the love of God further. So no matter where you are, you can approach these concepts with humility because you have more to do. Even if you are excelling now, you need to excel more. Till the day you die. Absolutely right. Amen. I, it's why I said earlier, do we ever get to a point in our life where we say, I'm, I'm, I am sanctified, I'm done. Not until we die. No matter where you are, too. I'm glad Adam said that. No matter where we are, we're all different. We're all a different place in our life. We're all a different place in our, in our Christian walk. New Christians, mature Christians, um, weak Christians. I mean, we're all a different place. Searching Christians. But the point that Paul is making here is no matter where you are, keep going forward. Keep excelling more. I also like the word that he used, excel, for these people, for the Thessalonians, they were excelling. He could have just said, you need to do more. No, he said, you need to excel more. He complimented him to Adam's point in what we already said. These people were doing a fantastic job, given their circumstance, so new at Christianity, and being persecuted in Thessalonica, physically persecuted. People were actually being killed for being a Christian in Thessalonica. And they were doing a fantastic job. And he says to them, you just need to excel. Don't stop excelling. Don't stop growing. Darlene, were you going to say something? No, I was just thinking it's like a warning against self-satisfaction. Or passiveness. Yes. Right. Not to just sit back and be satisfied that you've done what you Or I've accepted the gift. And I, I agree. I, I confess that Jesus is Lord. I'm baptized. And I'm done. Whoa, it certainly isn't consistent with the message that we see in Jesus' life or in what Paul's teaching these Thessalonians or anywhere else pretty much in the New Testament. So, I say that sanctification is the first topic. So what does he use to illustrate sanctification? He uses sexual immorality 
in the case of the Thessalonians. Now they came in what kind of a society? <laughs> what kind of a society was Thessalonica? They had idols, because that's what it says in chapter two, 1. They turned from idols to the true God. Do you think that... Do you think Thessalonica was a lot, any, any different than America? That sexual immorality is a relative term? There are people who have no sense of what immoral behavior is. We're bombarded by it. In television shows, commercials, I mean the press, the media just overwhelms the minds of Americans with what's permissive, in fact, what's celebrated. You think Thessalonica was any different? Cheryl? I was just going to say that in First Corinthians it talks about how uh, our bodies are members of mm. Christ. Great. I like that. I like how they do that. It's a great reference. So when you become a Christian, you become united with who? With Christ. Your dedication to Christ, your sanctification, your commitment to living for Him, doing what He would do, imitating Him, as Paul would say to the Corinthians, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In other words, imitate Christ. If we're imitating Him, then we're going to be pure in our cause, our commitment to the cause. So anytime we, we waver off that path, we are wavering off of the purpose that God has. And what is God's purpose for us? What, how did God behave, how has God behaved toward us? What was his purpose in sending his son to die on the cross? He had a pure, absolutely undistracted purpose for giving us his son. And that was so that we could be reconciled to him. Because we're not blameless. We're not holy. We're sinners. God never wavered from that purity. He is holy. God is holy. What does he say? First Peter. Peter says that we should be holy because I am holy. As it is written. Be holy as I, because I am holy. Does that mean I can be like God and be as holy as God? No, I've already blown that. <laughs> I've got sin in my life, so I'm already not like God. <laughs> but I can sure strive to be dedicated to a purpose with the purity of mind. Do some other scriptures start popping into your head about this? About being double-minded? Or that you can't serve two masters? These are all the things that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are trying to teach us in so many ways. Um, and here in Thessalonians, he's trying to use this one example to say, here's, 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 a, here's an example for you specifically in Thessalonica. So before we run out of time, sexual immorality. He says that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. And I asked the question, what does Paul mean um, or what is he teaching there in verses 3 through 8, 3b basically through 8, specifically in verses 4 and 5, what does that mean to you? That each of you know how to possess his own vessel. 
Adam? Um, I think the in sanctification and honor that we possess our own vessel, having it set apart, and then honor treated in a way that, that exemplifies that concept of being set apart. And I would say that he gives the example of sexual sexual immorality, but then in verse five he says, "Not in lustful passion." Yeah. And I think we could we could be tempted to think that that lustful passion is only related to sexual immorality. But, but for example, Esau is condemned for lust when he trades his birthright for a bowl of stew. That's right. That idea of being controlled by, we always talk about lust in terms of sexual concepts, but really the idea of lust is about allowing allowing the flesh to control whatever we're doing. In some cases, yeah. that's being controlled by sexual thoughts. But in, in Esau's case, it was allowing himself to be controlled by his hunger yeah. so much so that he would he would give up something that would have benefited his family and his lineage for generations to come. And so this idea of sanctification and honor is about controlling our bodies related to sexual sin, related to financial gain, related to how we may pursue the comforts of life, and that all things were to be set apart in our body, and consider how our choices exemplify that sanctification, whether it's for a bowl of stew that we're giving up that honor or for sexual sin. Really well said. In fact, really well said in a way that I could almost zip to the next point. I will emphasize a couple of things in case they weren't heard or maybe understood, although I think it was clear what Adam said. If we are sanctified and if we are dedicated to a purpose, if we were like the holy vessels in the temple and the tabernacle that were meant for one thing, and they weren't meant to be used for any other thing. What Paul is saying is, is that you are a spirit. We worship God who is a spirit. But we're housed in these bodies. Paul loves to talk about these things, these vessels. Um, so how do we, as spiritual beings, use these vessels that we're housed in? Are, are we in control? Is our spirit in control? Or am I letting my body control where it takes me and what it involves me in. Paul's saying here, get control of your body. Use it for what God wants it to be used. It's not for immorality. And I love what he says here in, I'm going to skip ahead to it, there in green. For God has not called us for impurity but in sanctification. What's the impurity that you would, most people would read quickly through that and say, well, the impurity he's talking about there is sexual immorality. True, but I think Adam makes the really, really good point. This is any impurity. When you're off the path for a bowl of stew or something else, not you're... That a bowl of stew is bad. Not that it's a bad thing. But it's the attitude toward... But, but if you put it first above your service then it's a bad thing. So uh, that's, the, that's the point that he's making here and the prayer that we're segueing into. And so what he's telling the Thessalonians is maybe they had issues because of their society and maybe some of the Christians were still behaving in a way at times that was sexually impure. What he's maybe emphasizing to them is something very specific to the Thessalonians. But the principle 
is much, much broader. It applies to any Christian anywhere. I've found people, when you read it, you'll find people that say, this is only talking about married people. It's only talking to married people. No, it's not. All of us have a body. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Yeah. And you think of any situation, like you're saying, Eve. You know, when she saw the fruit, well, she was hungry. And then she yeah. said it looked good. And then she's like, well, I could be like God in the power. So it's, it really applies, like you're saying, to any, right. any type of lust for any type of sin. I love it. Great, great, great passage. Call out Jacob. I also love Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 and 3. Where we're supposed to present our bodies as living sacrifices unto God. And what does he say? Which is your spiritual service of worship. It's what we're called to do. Do not be conformed to the world, it goes on to say, but be transformed by renewing your mind. This is where we're at. Sorry we didn't get to the next section. We'll hit that really hard. Uh, really quickly next week, we'll start in verse 9. Uh, really good class. Thank you for your comments. You got right to the point I was hoping we would emphasize for our benefit and application. Let's be sanctified. Thank you.